welcome to this week's Girl About the Yard Chats. Today I'm chatting to Olivia Towers, who is a Grand Prix dressage rider. There's a little bit more than a few transitions in that one. And uh, it is my complete delight to talk to you. How are you? I'm so good. Thank you so much for having me on. I'm really excited to chat away. Well, it's it's an honour because I was on your podcast. I would like to quiz you rather than you quizzing me. I know I was saying before, wasn't I, that I actually prefer this way around because like, <laughs> like there's so much less pressure. Yeah. I don't have to guide the conversation. I just go where you want me to go. So, oh, Brilliant. The world is our oyster. So yeah. tell, us, tell us how you got from being unable to walk on a horse to being Grand Prix. <laughs> in, in a nutshell. Yeah, good luck. <laughs> in a nutshell. Uh, well, a lot of making, a lot of mistakes. A lot of mistakes, a lot of hours in the saddle, a lot of lessons and a lot of like, I sometimes think it's stupidity of just not giving up. Like, you know, where, yeah, you're just, it's that like, that, yeah, just that mindset. I don't know. I just go, even when I was at my worst with it, there was something in me that was like, no, I, I always knew I was like, oh, I always knew I could be good. The ironic thing is, looking back at my journey, I never was bad. <laughs> That's how I saw myself. <laughs> um, but I guess I always knew there was something in me that was like, oh, I can do this, I can do this. But there was more in me that was like, you're, you're rubbish at this. But I don't know, I just, it just kept going. And I think that is that is really what it is, isn't it? It's just keeping going at it. Um, and you, often people are like, oh, I just, I just can't keep myself motivated or keep wanting to do it and I was like well maybe it's not for you and that's fine I sometimes people force themselves into things I think the journey um separates like the wheat from the chaff or like if you're meant to be doing it or not it'll naturally like stop it but yeah. um yeah going from like just riding around when I was younger um just messing around like I used to get told off so much for like galloping up people's verges out hacking though <laughs> <laughs> so I was a bit of a nutcase like that and then um lost my confidence jumping and so I tried the dressage side because it just seemed a bit safer and then I was naturally as a character like a perfectionist and liked detail as a very young child so dressage was perfect and I just kept going oh I'll just see if I can get that better next time or maybe if I tried this that would be better and it's just that I've done that the whole way through <laughs> yeah so that's kind of how it happened left school at 16 to crack on with it but I think very naively when I went into it I thought it would be a smooth uh path from like because um, when I started doing it if people wanted to get into the equestrian world as a rider they went and worked for a professional rider who's older than them learned from them and then built on from that that was the only way now it's very different uh so that's what I did and because no one had documented the real life side of it you go into it a bit like it's gonna be super easy like I'm just gonna ride muck out work a bit like da, da, da. but it wasn't it was really hard really hard work <laughs> like physically mentally <laughs> everything you're like getting up super early in a cold and Oh yeah, it was really tough um, and tough psychologically as well, for sure. And uh, yeah, then when I started doing it by myself and I left working for someone, I again thought I'm now a professional. I should be 
up there with the lot that have been doing it for years and I wasn't and basically my you know they say like what is it smart goals where they're like make sure they're like measurable attainable (laughs) mine were not attainable at all and I almost like set myself up for like this big disappointment because I thought I should be there when now looking back at it and talking to like the professionals I talked to on my podcast it was never meant to be that way really around about now like when you get to Grand Prix and I'm coming to be 30 they say if you'd started when you were 16 yeah now you're coming into so so from 16 to 30 you're learning wow and I was like someone had told me that earlier please (laughs) because doing the the because I rode for Great Britain at uh, 16 to 18 did I do ponies no no yeah 16 to 18 it's a very different world and you're already representing your country. So then you, for some unknown reason, think you're just going to carry that on and you go from wearing a flag, having selections, doing all the internationals to then being like, I'm back at the bottom of the pile and it's really hard. Yeah. Um, and no one tells you this. Well, no one, no one told me. <laughs> so, um, so that was hard. And then, yeah, with the Grand Prix stuff, I feel like that's really like been the making of me. And I feel it sounds silly but like now I'm doing it I'm like this I feel like that's my level like I feel like that's where I'm going to get really good because you can't you can't not be doing certain things at Grand Prix like PSG uh into one and okay into two is a bit different but that's like say the level below Grand Prix you can get away with having not a lot of things in line like you can fluff it and fake it whereas with Grand Prix you can't you literally can't you can't and so it teaches you it's just a, a like another mountain it teaches you to step up um so I think it's really helping me which is great do you enjoy that challenge yeah I do when I don't <laughs> I do when I don't there's, I was listening to a podcast the other day about this and and it, it was a it's called uh the subtle art of not giving a f u c k and if you don't mind swearing it's a really good book if you do don't listen to it because he swears a lot but it's really good and it? it's just talking about like um you know with goals and stuff and and he's saying with a goal you need to almost set it so you can't achieve it because it's once you've achieved something then you're like oh now what like now what's life all about so yes I think the great thing about about this level is yeah you can be doing it I'm doing it but I now know I'm gonna spend a lifetime trying to get to the 100% mark and nobody ever has so really ever no never no, Charlotte's got pretty close. I can't remember what she got. I think, oh, I should really know that. But no, it's in the 90s, Charlotte got. But I mean, that's, that's you know, one of the best riders in the world and she hasn't quite got there. So nobody's done it, which is great, isn't it? Because we're all going to be pushing and kind of trying to achieve that thing. But no, I think there's the beauty in that, like, messiness of learning. And that's really where true, I think, true happiness and growth comes from overcoming an issue. And it's not that you never have an issue. You just get bigger issues, if that makes sense. And I just want bigger. I want bigger things to overcome. And that's what Grand Prix does for you. It's like, (laughs) here we go. Fix this. And you're like, wow, that's hard. Um, So, yeah, it's really, really cool. I love it. Well, as an observer, you make it look effortless. So it's quite nice to think <laughs> that it's not effortless. It's not. It's not. It's, uh, yeah, yeah. When you get to the point of it looking effortless, someone said it's a little bit like making a masterpiece, like a painting. It looks super messy. 
whilst you're creating it and everyone's like what is that going to be what is that even going to turn into and then at the end you're like oh I get it yeah cool and that's the bit that you see I try and show the other bits but yeah it's hard to document the whole thing and at the moment you have one horse at this level yep so Will's competed at Grand Prix and Eagle will is training at it so he will um he will do an into two when we're allowed to compete again which is kind of like the baby version of the Grand Prix and then uh yeah should hopefully maybe end of this year beginning of next do a Grand Prix so then that'll be two wow Mm. and is your plan to get to Grand Prix with as many as you can yeah so the plan is with every single horse that I ride ultimately I want them to get to Grand Prix but some won't get there because they mentally might not want to do it physically might not be able to do it and so what I would then do is I'd sell them because you need to it's so hard when doing it professionally you can't just have them as like a little pet like I was saying to someone the other day I kind of I have one horse at the moment I'm not sure if he's going to I'm very much sitting on the fence with whether he's gonna do it or not he's tricky tricky and um I was like, I just wish I could have him as like my liberty horse and like do all that stuff. And I'm like, financially, I can't afford to have a horse in unless they're kind of going towards that, which sucks. And I hope one day I can be in a situation financially where I can have them like that. But at the moment, I can't. I need to be able to justify every single horse that's in here, which is sad. But it's the way it is. It's the way it is for a lot of them. But yeah, ultimately, you want every single one to get there. Like, that's what we're looking for when we're buying the young horses. Do we think we could, they could do that? But like I said, some don't want to, some can't. And that is the uh, the lucky dip of buying horses, isn't it? Which yeah. one's going to make it? So, yeah. Are you quite pragmatic when you're looking at your horse? when you get kind of further up the line and you're thinking actually like you know he doesn't want to do a backwards figure of eight then you think obviously that's not a dressage move I know what you mean. looks to the movements of a backwards uh, yeah what is eight. that <laughs> um but do you are you very good at being pragmatic about it and being able to see yes and no well it's very difficult to separate your emotions from your practical side because there's, I'm very much when I have a horse, I will do everything and anything I can to to get that horse to be the best it can be. That's good. But then sometimes in that, I guess, the stubbornness that you can fall short of not selling them in there in a good time, if that makes sense. And then you keep them and then it's almost not the best time to sell them. Um, it's difficult. I'm very much, I've always laughed my trainers. Like, he's like, I think you should sell this one. And I'm like, nope I'm gonna prove you wrong <laughs> I'm gonna do this and then it starts getting better and better and he's like oh maybe it will but then it's really hard to know I am quite I am quite um logical with it but it is difficult I hate selling horses I hate it because my biggest thing with selling horses once it's gone I don't control what happens to them so I can't control their care I can't control how much work they're doing how they're being looked after um how people are dealing with them in the ridden work and I find that really stressful because I have loved that horse and done my best for that horse and then someone else has and I try obviously to sell them to really nice people but you never know do you and um then they can sell them on someone else and I've just seen so many horses be shipped around and I couldn't it's kind of be like giving up your dog 
and being like go on bye like off you go and that's anyone who's done that because some people do don't know they have to do that knows how hard it is um so I try and avoid selling them a lot but yeah it is hard recently through watching on social media I've noticed that you started doing your liberty stuff is that new or is that just like is this a new thing that you're adding into your training so I've been doing that since uh back end of 2019 I started doing it um and it was because Wilf who's my Grand Prix horse now was extremely naughty uh, at competitions and just in outdoor arenas and I had had people being like just keep going he'll get better he'll get better and I was like I always knew that was wrong but I never really questioned it. I was like, they know the best. Like, I'll just follow what they're saying. But I was like, we're not changing anything. And I felt every time I kept going in there, it was imprinting this behavior into him. And I was like, I got frustrated. He got frustrated. So um, an advert popped up on Facebook for uh, a lady called Claire Gallimore. And she trained with Tristan Tucker, who um, created the TRT method. And I'd seen Tristan do it before. And I was like, wow, amazing. But I I'd never thought I could learn that because he's in Holland. Um, Claire arrived and she'd done three years there and and she'd been helping Alice Offenheimer, who's a really good dressage rider. And I was at the Nationals and I had the worst show. (laughs) He was so naughty. It was so embarrassing. I came second to last. Behind him, it was actually really funny. My trainer actually came last because he had a terrible Uh round two and we were like, oh, here we go. Um, And I saw Claire there and I was like, I need some help. I was like, there has to be a different way to do this. And I'm very much as a thing of I want to know what the horse is thinking, feeling, how they're moving, what their body's doing. And I think there's always a way through something. And um, yeah, through the the groundwork stuff, Claire has helped me unpick that. And it's an extreme commitment. Um, It was extreme commitment to learn it. I'm still learning it, but I mean, to get the foundations was so hard so tiring I'd work the horse in the morning and then do the in hand in the afternoon and it was like a full-on all the time um but it was so worthwhile because I understand them a lot more now and I think you know you can bridge the gap between the groundwork and the ridden work there is a way to do it and Tristan has showed that because he competes at Grand Prix um which is really interesting and that's a bit different to a lot of natural horsemanship um they don't ever bridge the gap which is fine it's because that's not their thing but I was always like oh is it possible and then they showed me it was possible and um it's just nice to like so for example with one of my horses at the moment Joey he's a little bit like scrunched up in the ridden so what I can do is I can go onto the ground and look what his body's doing look how he's reacting to like everything work with it on the ground and then get on and work with it there and it just gives you so many more tools Wow. To understanding the horse, which is really cool. Really clever. Mm. And are you, do you think along the lines you want to progress down that route? Get to the Grand Prix of Liberty training? Yeah, definitely. But I just don't know if I have time. Like, yeah. it, that's, it's all, like everything for me in life is a balance of time. Um, and uh, I think I could do the ridden and that, ju- like just that package. But then when you add social media in and coaching and everything else it's like oh it's big but um I think I I now am not so stressed about how long it takes me to get there so yeah it would be really cool wouldn't it to to do all that stuff alongside I've seen a couple of people who actually do do the dressage and that and it's really interesting 
Um, but again, it's not rushing it and not putting that pressure on. So maybe. You have a very powerful social media. I think you've created an e-course alongside all of this crazy training. And yeah. you've done, uh, you've hit your 50,000 mark and you're, yeah. you know, well on your way towards 100 on your podcast creation. I mean, how do you have enough time in the day? Uh, it was very <laughs> hard starting it up horrendous starting up I was actually I'm having to go through my old vlogs at the moment to create one around wealth and I look what I used to do I'd wake up at like six ish go for a run start work at seven on the yard do all that still work on the yard in the afternoons finish do my social media go to the gym at like seven o'clock at night come back do late for eight o'clock finish at like half eight nine and that was that was for about two years I did that it was insane wow insane like and you could sit there being like wow that's incredible but I burnt out really badly yeah yeah <laughs> it hit it had its consequences but it create it did create this platform and I, I honestly it's a little bit like a rocket taking off you need all the like so much fuel at the beginning to get it off the ground and then as it grows, it almost like acts like a snowball effect. And obviously you still have to put effort in, but nowhere near as much as I did at the beginning. So a lot of effort at the beginning, a um, lot of mistakes, again, with, with a lot of it's a lot of mistakes with social media. Um, and just trying loads of different things. So like trying out posts, vlogs, um, podcasts, all that stuff, and seeing what, what I like doing and what sits well with everyone but now it's just kind of just I'll just go with the flow a little bit more how do you separate your mental kind of health or mental kind of direction with all of it like you've got your turbulent journey to Grand Prix where you were riding for the you know as a member of the team for the beginning and then you've got your social media where you're simultaneously in a community and on your own hmm how do I separate the mental health side? Yeah, so how do you, I guess, how do you look after yourself? <laughs> uh, uh, I just, like, I just t- keep going. Again, I just keep going. And, and I make so, again, I make so many mistakes on my mental health. I made a massive mistake in 2019 of sharing too in depth the massive struggles I was having with it. And too many people had a say about it and it was extremely Mm. rough and hard I mean I shared that I had uh, like burnout gave me basically like low-key depression I think it's called situational depression yeah where you just work too hard and you've got down and I shared that and there were some really hard comments about that people saying like you you basically you have too much money and too much time on your hands and that's why you've got mental health issues just loads of different stuff um and as, as well, I shared about uh, really struggling because after I got this like situational depression, I got really bad social anxiety and I shared about it quite openly because I did a vlog actually. I was vlogging my holiday and that's where it was really bad. I was crying on camera and I was like, this is just the reality. And it was great because people were like, you're really helping people by sharing. But what I made the mistake of was showing it when I hadn't healed from it. And yeah. that's what I've learned now. I wouldn't I wouldn't share something that was really hurting me in the moment until I'd healed from it now um because you're too we're not we're not designed or created to have 50,000 people giving us advice on something we're designed to have three or four close people 
nurturing us through it. So yeah. of course it's going to be a, a disaster. And the other thing that I struggled with as well with, especially the social anxiety is everyone around me and I, they were doing it in such a lovely way, but it, it impacted it badly. We're, we're normalizing it. I have that too. I struggle with this. I struggle with that. And all that did was make me feel more hopeless with it. Like, mm. wow, everyone's got this. I very much struggled with the balance of if I, if I didn't share it and kept it to myself, I still struggled. If I shared it, I still struggled. And I'm like, where's the right balance here? Like, what am I meant to be doing? So I does anyone ever really get it right? I don't think they do. <laughs> no, I'm sure they don't. <laughs> I think it's more like the people who roll with it a little bit more and they're like a little bit more accept the uncertainty and accept the like, oh, it is what it is. They're the people I think that just thrive because they're like, yeah, it's like an anxious thought comes into their head. They're like, no, it is what it is. And they don't like go, I'm going to now say I've got an anxiety disorder or da-da-da. Yeah, I'm not saying if if someone has uh, a disorder, you know, like mental health thing, I'm not discrediting that. But for me personally, I wouldn't want to like, I wouldn't want to label myself as that because I think it fixates you more on it. Um, and I don't want to do that. I don't want to be labelled in that way. It's not because I think there's anything wrong with it. And I, if someone was struggling it, I wouldn't be judging them badly. Again, like, I understand it. But for me, I don't want to. I don't want to label myself as that because I fixate on it. And I'm. I have an extremely strong imagination. That can be used in a very bad way if I start thinking about stuff I can send myself into a spiral like for example 2019 I got to the point where every single situation I went into I'd be like oh what if you panicked here that was it and my imagination just like it it just attacked me because I was that was more in 2019 where I was like yeah I've got I've got this issue I've got this issue that's what I was telling myself and um, it attacked me big style I'd be like in a petrol station I'd be like well you have to pay for your fuel now there's no one else here to do it and what if you panic and then every time it's funny because I still get a bit stressed when I go to a petrol station now it's still there every time now I'm like oh my goodness what if that happened and that's from yeah me identifying myself as being super anxious all the time so it's not that I think people should ignore it I think we should all be very open about our feelings and be able to express them but I also think you do have to be careful sometimes what you fixate on it's why it's hard though that I'm still trying to figure it out I never feel like there's a black and white answer with it you can't completely ignore them because they build up and boil over you can't completely fixate on them because they take over so it's the hard thing with life isn't it there's a balance which I hate I hate balance <laughs> no you're right it is it is a balance and I think everyone's in the same like your balance can change wherever you are like your balance will change yeah. at school it'll change at uni it'll change when you're in a job and we have to almost become able to manage like rebalance ourselves all the time Mm, so hard yeah no straight answer for it in your uh crazy life what is Mm. your kind of next personal goal to get to or next you know stage apart from the 100% which is obviously going to happen next season (laughs) yeah obviously smash (laughs) it out then I'll be sat there in my armchair like what do I do now (laughs) um no my my thing at the moment my goal so to say is um accepting uncertainty that 
I don't know what's going to happen because I don't struggle with, you know, when people are like, you must set goals to get somewhere. I do not struggle with the striving side. What I struggle with is like, the, I, I almost wanted to know exactly what was going on. And I'm like, right, 2019, this is going to have 2020, this is going to have, and that it's just not life. So for me, it's accepting uncertainty. And I almost think now with my goals, again, I, I'm really funny about using that word my aspirations with life would be for example with my riding it wouldn't be I want to get 95% of Grand Prix and win this medal and win that medal no it would be I want to become the best horse person I could throughout my life so there's no end goal to that and Mm -hmm. that's the idea of it because I'm not going to hit say I said I want to be I want to be like on the Olympic team and that happened then where do I go after that? You're yeah. a little bit like, oh, now what do I do? My, my purpose is fulfilled. What, what does my life mean now? Whereas if you have a goal that you can never reach, you're always growing, you're always chipping away. So again, same thing with everything in life. I just set a goal that's not attainable. Not that, it, like, that it's not a set in stone. Uh, what's the word? It's not a metric. Is that the word? I think so. Do you know yeah, what I, I mean? think so. Yeah, yeah. So when people ask us, I'm like, oh, I don't know. I don't know. Just, just going to keep going, see where I get. It's inspiring yeah. because it's very marketing. It's very sexy to have a goal. It's very sexy to like get oh, to the yeah. and then move on. But I think in reality, you're right. There is no, like, I am exactly the same. If I get to a goal, I'm like, great, what do I do now? Whereas if I'm yeah. like, next, you know, next stage the whole time, always moving the ladder, you know, moving the goalposts, yeah. I'm just, it motivates me. Yeah, that's it, isn't it? And again, that book I was listening to, it explains it so well. It was like, yeah, yeah, I can't, I'm not going to try and quote it because I can't quite remember it. But it was, if you're like listening to this and you're like, wow, that's really interesting, like, read that book because he's called Mark Manson really cool really cool author to anybody wanting to get into dressage which in my Mm. world is completely mad but if you want to get (laughs) into dressage um yeah what would what would be your kind of two pieces of advice towards the dressage goal um take your time initially learning the foundations that is the absolute crucial part don't think uh my horse has to just be in a pretty outline and I've got to get X percent out of show. Think of like truly understanding what you're asking that horse's body to do and start to get through that process because that's the important thing. It's not, I think it's important you understand why you're trying to do something with them. Like why do we want our horses to be more through rather than like my horse just needs to be on the bit to get a higher mark. Understand why the horse's body works better there and that takes ages and just take your time in the initial thing and also if you are a perfectionist just get help with that (laughs) because it's funny dressage um attracts perfectionists but it's actually really important that you work through not being one because the more you fail and mess up and and tweak things the quicker you get better that's it yeah so um yeah I mean it's just not to put too much pressure on it looking perfect straight away which is hard. Really hard. With dressage is, yeah. What has been your most memorable moment in a dressage arena, good or bad? (laughs) 
Um, okay, there's one. There's so many. It's, it's not a bad one, but it's a good and a bad one. I took Wilf to do this music at Wellington Premier League. And um, there was a big crowd, big crowd. And I went in and um, he was so naughty. But I was used to it. Like, he, this was his thing. And I just handled it how I always did. Just like, oh, right. I'm just, I will give my best to help him through it. And, you know, suffle him, all this stuff. But he was kicking off left, right and centre. And afterwards, I was like, oh. I'm fine when I'm riding. Afterwards, I'm like, oh, so hard. And I think about, I got like about 10 messages from people who have been watching going, it's amazing to see how you worked that horse through that. And um, you were like the best one to watch for us because yes, it went wrong, but it's how you handled it. It's so admirable. And I was like, oh, that's so nice. That really stuck out for me because again, it wasn't that I went and won that people were like, wow, it's how I handled a rubbish situation, which I think for me has always been the biggest thing, handling a rubbish situation well because before in the past I would have got emotional and upset and a bit tight in my body and a bit like Meh. and so I was like wow I feel like I've grown so that was really nice and then of course like riding my first Grand Prix was like uh anyone who's done their like first driving lesson it's a little bit like that like hitting a roundabout for the first time <laughs> very similar what am I doing like freaking out it's all happening so fast but it was really nice because I had loads of people come and support me Obviously, with people watching the vlogs, they were like, and it was that was awful, but it wasn't great. There were some dodgy moments in it. And looking back at now, I'm like, oh, but everyone was so supportive and so nice. And it's kind of nice just to like have that memory with it not being perfect, but everyone was supportive. So that was cool. So, yeah, that's probably those two. Do you remember the first time you wore tails? No, I, I do. I was I would have been 17. Wow. So funny, I, I did PSG from 17 till 26, 27. I was at that level for ages. When I was that young, though, I was like, there was no, wow, I'm in tails. It was, why am I not doing as good as that person? Why am oh, I not yeah. doing? Yeah, it's so sad, actually, looking back. because It's a huge thing at 16, 17 to ride a PSG. But I was like, filled with so, so much negativity and comparison that I didn't appreciate it which sucks but it's funny looking back at it I'm like oh oh, Olivia oh (laughs) Olivia you poor thing (laughs) and your your horses are quite um they're quite stocky Mm. is that by choice I do like the stocky ones because I think if they've got a leg in each corner they'll last longer have you seen those spindly, like, legs throwing everywhere Dutch dressage lot? I just like, oof, just see them breaking. Really? They, they're not coordinating themselves very well, are they? They're all, like, legs and limbs everywhere. Whereas, you know, the German stocky, like, they're very steady, but they do everything correctly. And, well, look at, like, look at Vallegro, for example. Like, one of the best dressage horses in this country, or you could say in the world. He is tiny and like stocky almost built like a bit like a cob and he's lasted because he's like Whoa. yeah um I just love them I just think they're really cool and what I found as well is that the connection through their body is much better so a little bit like you know when you sit on a horse if you sometimes feel like you're sat in a bit of a bucket you know a little dip mm-hmm. um that's what I find the spindly ones put you in and then you can't engage their core whereas the stronger ones 
hold themselves in a better way I think that's just me though impressive don't tell the Dutch I said that they'll be like mortified (laughs) where do you buy your horses from do you buy them from a breeder so um we try and buy British bred horses one because um we like supporting the British breeders I don't think there's enough done for them um I think there needs, needs to be a lot more uh and two it's cheaper yeah three yeah. they don't then have to be transported over um yeah I mean it's cheaper that's <laughs> for me because I buy my young horses I have to spend the whole year saving up um so I won't spend more than seven grand on a, a foal or yearling it has to be in that it has to be in that amount because I don't earn more I don't save enough for it to be anymore um that's just how it is uh but you can you can get some really cool horses in the UK um but again you've got to just look for the right things which is hard do you go with the dressage breeding or do you think you can encourage dressage out of any men mixing a lot now show jumping and dressage together and because they say that the show jumpers have really good canters and uh the great thing about the any horses you can produce a trot into them so you can teach them suspension they canter in the walk you can't really change especially the walk but um you can make them better but you can't change them whereas a trot you can literally change it completely through training through training yeah with your youngsters do they then do Mm. all the training with you or do you send them away to be broken and then bring them in so my yeah so this uh, we were getting them back at three and a half and I did send them away I say did I probably still will um because I haven't been trained how to break a horse in and I think it's so important that they have a really good start as your first thing with them so I don't want to not that I wouldn't I just don't know how um but now I do more groundwork I could see it would be more possible for me so I'm going to start the batch that we've got now I'm going to start them in hand and lean over them and and do all that stuff but I'm not going to put the pressure on myself if I have to back these horses. Um, again, just seeing what I can do. Can I lean over them? Can I do this? But through the groundwork, I'll have moved their body so much and put pressures on them, for example, like with the flag and the bag. And they won't suddenly have a rider sit on them and then be like, whoa, how do I cope? How do I, what do I do with my body here? And it won't be a stressful situation. So yeah I'll see I mean it's changing as my knowledge grows around it but yeah I didn't want to put that pressure on myself just slowly integrate it in did you do the liberty stuff with the intention of starting off your youngsters or was that a a byproduct of no 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 that was a byproduct I didn't even know like so Tristan and then Claire as well they'll do the they'll do it with the foals they'll do it straight away like through day two they'll be doing stuff with them because it's never then a big deal it's never like a what is this? So the three-year-olds that I have have never done it. So obviously they're bigger horses, aren't they? They've learned certain things. So it's, I say it's not ideal. It's it's way better than starting like with, I did with Wilf at like 10. Mm. Um, but yeah, that's why they do them throughout their life. So that it's, and I would say they do the liberty. It's like very small, like just teaching them to, with their inside hind leg, cross it um, forwards and over instead of, you know, when a horse steps back and behind itself teaching them a good pattern to move in their body um and really interesting when Tristan does the three-year-olds because he um has an online course I've watched him do it 
the way he brings the three-year-olds on is very different he'll first teach them to move their body before he puts them out on the lunge and he said if I first put them out on the lunge they're going to start moving in whatever way they've been moving before Mm. instead of the optimum way so he teaches them how to use their body in the best way possible before a rider's even sat on them and then then they're much more balanced much more supple much more accepting and you don't have this big problem that you sometimes see when people back courses which is really cool that's really cool yeah really interesting very very empowering for both rider and horse yeah that's his whole thing though is he's he is uh he says his thing is to be not to be a dictator of the horse but to be a coach to be a mentor and to give them the choice to make the right decision so you don't um so for example when you're working with the horses on the floor it's not that you're trying to not make them make a mistake but you want them to to learn how to manage their own body manage themselves manage their mind manage how they react to their environment rather than you having to manage the horse which is amazing because then the horse thinks for themselves and they look to you to be like what do I do here and you say no remember you just do this and they go yeah okay cool and then they go oh I remember what I do so for example when you put um what we teach them is like when you put a pressure on them so whether that's a flag around them or a bag or like you touch them with a whip they learn to put themselves into a relaxed posture so that's with their head down and then like a soft you know soft eye like all that stuff and you can teach them that so when they feel a pressure whatever pressure is whether you're hacking out in a paper bag rolls past you they go oh yeah they've taught me how to handle this like I, I relax that's the idea of it takes time though and so then from a situation, just to be devil's advocate, then from a situation mm. where they are getting attacked by a plastic bag, the or is the essence that the human formed things, so, you know, if there was actually an animal running at them, they would realise that that isn't a plastic bag. But the plastic bag and the kind of like, you know, flags flying and all that kind of thing, they're mm. desensitising to that, but they're not necessarily mm. desensitising from their fight or flight vibes yeah so so the word they use they don't use the word desensitize because desensitize would be to numb out and what we don't want the horses to do is numb out because they need to still be able to like yeah massage changes turn do the grand prix they need to be switched on but they need to be clever with how they're reacting to stress so um so basically like what tristan was talking about when i was listening to him is we put horses into a human environment uh they're not going, are they, to be chased by, you know, a lion. We put them into a human environment, so we have to educate them with how to handle that situations, like, to handle those situations. And and that's through giving them a different choice, like a paper bag rolls towards them. Yes, you can go up and tight and get nervous, or you can relax your body, breathe, and their horses go, actually, that feels so much better. I'm going to do that. Uh, because they, they do want to do it. It's not you, well, you can't force a horse to relax. There's no way you can. Even some horses that, you know, people like to work it harder, work it harder. But no, some horses will run through adrenaline. Look at the horses in the war. They ran off adrenaline with hardly any food. They kept on going till they literally dropped dead and died. We don't want to hit that, do we? It's like, we don't want to do that to our horses. So yeah, you can teach them, this feels nicer in your body. Why don't you try this? And the whole thing with it is, you teach them when they're tight and up that the pressure stays on. When they're soft and relaxed, the pressure goes away. So um, 
for example, a horse that's tight in the skin, if you touch them and they go, and you take your hand off, you've rewarded. If I go like this, the pressure goes away. Where is if you touch them and they go tight and you keep your hand there and then they go, okay. And then you take your hand away. They're like, wow. Okay. When I relax, the pressure goes off. Things are a little bit nicer. My body feels better. Bringing their awareness to what their body's doing. It's so interesting. I mean, there's, I'm such a novice at it, but it's fascinating listening to him talk about it. He, like one of my biggest horse heroes is Tristan Tucker. Like, really? Phenomenal. If I could like, if I could go and work with him, I'd do it like the drop of a hat. But obviously I have so many horses, don't I? I'd do it a drop of a hat. Like he's phenomenal. So cool. How old is he? Tristan, uh, I think he's, well, I want to say late thirties, maybe forties, but oh, don't hold me to that. I so he's not like, that would be like, it's not like he's done like 80 years of this and he's like, you no, know, so I'm now. pretty, sh- pretty sure. I'm trying to think what he's done. He's trained like horses in Australia. Um, he's done so many different things, but he's just amazing. Oh. such a a fangirl he's just clever and he doesn't he's not like wishy-washy with the horses but he's also really fair with them and empowers them and I love that yeah yeah it's really cool and I imagine that from doing the liberty stuff your understanding of your horse obviously increases and you know what you know what they're comfortable with what they're not comfortable with would you say that your passion for it is increased through your christian faith or do you think they don't have any relation at all oh i don't know i never really thought about that um i don't know i think um i think that god used the horses to teach me about myself a lot and um i learn a lot about myself through them and definitely doing the groundwork you do more of that so yeah, yeah, in a way, I think it's all connected for me. There's not like a separate line, like, oh, Sunday's here, I'm going to do my Christian thing. Like it's all wrapped into one anyway. Like yeah. um, I have a chair in the arena, it's called the Jesus chair. And <laughs> he'll sit there and like, I'll be like, you watch me train. Some days I forget. I'm like, I'm just, you know, off on one. But I'm like, okay, Jesus, you sit there. And I'd be like, because obviously, like, he would be the best trainer of horses, wouldn't he? So I'm like, I wonder what he would say or I wonder what he would do. And Or I'd be like, pray, like, please give me some wisdom with this horse. Like, I don't know what to do. I'm stuck. And, um, yeah, I'm always like, ah, it's not separate. It's very much all integrated into one, which is nice. I a couple of years ago had a massive fear of jumping and was just mm. like could not jump I also didn't want to go down the the dressage route but every single time I was approaching the jump as I saw you know they say see a stride I've never seen a stride in my life but as you <laughs> come up to the jump and you're like okay we're about to take off we're about to take off every single time it's like okay god come with me take me with you please yeah, literally, because let's go together it's literally like terrifying now i can do it but at the beginning i was like i really need that extra little like it's okay i've got you <laughs> yeah it's so true it's so nice that we have that as well isn't it yeah yeah it's an empowering uh, journey i think the liberty journey i did some horsemanship stuff ages ago when i was about 12 13 and i yeah. loved it loved it mm. 
it's so great it's so great and you're forever learning with it you're forever discovering you're forever trying again you would never reach the end of it there's no end destination with it yeah exactly you obviously you're aiming for two for two at grand prix this season how many would be enough at grand prix i mean gosh some riders the big ones like can have like six grand prix horses in at a time but i mean well one would be fine wouldn't it it's it's more the lot you have coming up behind them so it's almost like you can stagger the age so you'd have like one that's just being backed one that's doing the novice stuff one that's doing the medium stuff one that's doing and it goes like that because when your Grand Prix horse goes off, if you then have to start at scratch again, you're thinking then it's another seven years. Well, then you miss out on seven years of competing. So what the big yeah. boys do, the top lot, is they'll stagger. That's why they have so many horses. And then you have to, some, often they have two horses at that age because if one uh, has an injury or one doesn't make it, they still have another one in the pipeline or they can have even more. Like, I mean, some people have it on a huge production scale. Of, and then that's why they have like their underrider. So like someone helping them, training them. But um, I don't think I can't, I couldn't afford to have more in um, and do it quite like that. But it's just whatever works for, for everyone. And at the end of every podcast, I ask my guests the same questions. No, and... no, these questions. <laughs> Are you ready? Yeah. What is your favourite word? So I was thinking about this before we came on. This is very random. One of my favourite words is kutch, but I don't think, like, does anyone know what that actually means? Do you know what that means? No, I don't think so. No. So kutch is such a Bristolian. I used to live near Bristol. It's such a Bristolian word for cuddle. It's also, I'm sure the Welsh use it. I think it was originally the Welsh that use it. Anyway, it's like, oh, we should have a kutch. Like, it's a cuddle. We should cuddle. Kutch. Okay. Kutchy. It's just a really nice word. That's my How word. do you spell it? C-U-T-C-H. Okay. There's another version of it, which is koch, which I can't wrap my head around. So you have kutch and koch, which is the same thing. It depends where you are in the country to which one people use. Brilliant. There you go. Great. That's a new word for you. What would world peace look like to you? Well, I was thinking about this again. And I know people have done like funny answers, but for me, it would literally be that people would agree to disagree and be nice. Like with that, that for me would be a huge one. And also that we didn't have like insecurities and, and all that stuff that we were all comfortable with ourselves because yeah. I think that would get rid of a huge amount of issues. I think we would have world peace then, personally. Yeah. Because like we'd solve things, wouldn't we? Because we went, like you think about all the people who are running after money, why are they doing that? Because I don't know, some people feel inferior, some people think that's gonna fix it. Some people get like greedy, prideful, whatever. If we all didn't have these insecurities and we all agreed to disagree, like cool, you have your religion, cool, you have your sexuality, whatever. I'm going to just be like, agree to disagree. No, I think we'd all be happy. Yeah. Yeah. I, I would agree. Yay. Agree. <laughs> <laughs> we agree to agree. How do you take your drink? Is it alcohol or soft? It depends on what's going on. <laughs> I am a massive tea drinker. Um, milk, no sugar. Honey, love honey in my tea. Uh, if I'm going to 
have a drink. I love red wine in the winter and I love gin and tonic, but I really love cocktails too. <laughs> just love it all. Um, <laughs> love it all. Yeah. Yeah. One of my drinks, if I'm trying to be like healthier or like I want refreshing, is sparkling water with a little bit of like cordial in it. Mm, good. Really good. As you can see, I have loads. What is your favorite adjective? Uh, do you know, again, the minute I say it, I thought, what is my favorite adjective? The first word that came to my mind was voluptuous. I was like, why did that? Why did that come to my work? Like, where did that come from? But that was it. That I is an excellent. With it. Excellent. Word. I thought I'd stick with it. Yeah. Good idea. Great word. To me, joy is. To me, joy is Jesus. That's the first word that came to my head again. I just wanted to use the first ones because I think they're the most pure, aren't they? Fine. And then a question Me, I haven't asked, Jesus. I haven't pre-told you about. Mm. Would you choose ultimate wealth or ultimate love? Ultimate love, a hundred times over. And I'm not just saying that because it's like the noble answer, like a genuinely, <laughs> genuinely I'm from, glad being, you're, a Christ, I'm not, from being a glad Christian, you're not you see it. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, no, um, definitely, definitely like choose love over everything because what everything's around, isn't it? Oh, it'd be awful if you didn't have that. It's very true, very true. Mm. Well, thank you so much for your time. And this is great. Yeah, it's been amazing. Fascinating. So fun. What I really enjoy is that even though you're at Grand Prix, you're still learning. It's not like you're at the stage where you're like, okay, now I'm just doing Grand Prix. You're like, okay, let's go, you know, do a different tactic. No, it's literally like, if I could explain it, it's like starting all over again. It's like starting from the bottom. It's really weird. That's what they say. You hit that, you hit the top level and then you literally start at the bottom. You're like, here we go. It's amazing. (laughs) Well, I'm looking forward to following it online. Where can we find you on the internet? So uh, most, all my social media platforms are Livia Towers Dressage, except for Instagram, which is Towers432. Cool. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening. Anything that is external to the podcast will be in the show notes on girlaboutheyard.com. Please do tag us in any stories to show us where you've been listening. And we'd love to hear what you have taken away from this particular podcast episode. And have a great day. Thank you.